Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Today I'm going to be talking about an important question that has plagued the entire Francis pontificate. Is he a rival? Is there an adversarial relation between he, him, and the German radical schismatics in the church? It comes up, it lurks in the background of so many of the stories that I cover and that other trad Catholics on the interweb covers, but it's never quite clear. And we shouldn't allow this insinuated note to go unplayed. We have to delve into whether or not the German Catholics truly reject the Vatican's blank stance. Um, and recently, I'm going to be, today's entire show is going to be comprised of a report by the Germans. And on DW.com, it goes like this German Catholics reject. Vatican's abortion stance, report says. That came out of yesterday's news. And the reason, of course, it's important is because of narrative. As the White House and the FBI continue to stand by a raid at Mar-a-Lago, you folks out there ought to know that narrative is very important. It governs everything. As... The one so-called 1-6 PSYOP commission uh, rolled to a close late this summer. You folks out there, parish orphans and retrogrades, ought to know that narrative is everything. The narrative vis-a-vis Pope Francis and the German schismatics, who we know are his friends, uh, it goes like this. They're sort of rivals, In the sense that the Germans are even more radical than Francis, and therefore they're dissatisfied with his slow creeping leftism. That's how the story goes. And the the narrative also pitches then, just by relation to the right wing, him as a kind of relative middle. There's the you got the, the actually schismatic German leftists, the left side of the spectrum. Francis in the middle, and then the right-wingers, American right-wingers, and and they usually pitch someplace like EWTN or National Catholic Register as the American Catholic right. That's ridiculous. They're, They're right in the center. And of course, the true right, which is trads like me and, and, and even the rad trads, they pitch them as like, well, they're not right. They're just nuts. And they say that about me. They said it plenty about my wife for our traditional teaching on sex relations and, and marriage. They say it about the rad trads for their love of the TLM. They say it about everything. So they're allowed to lie with liturgy, and today's show, I think, should effectively undo that. So stay tuned. That's what we're going to be dealing in today. I'm going to read, as I'd like to do, the first few paragraphs of this DW article, which will show how they frame up the narrative. When I undo the narrative by virtue of some history, some digging, going back to the Amazon Synod and going back to the planning stages of the Synod on Synodality, you will see, you will see under the clear light of day how much this narrative is false. First, though, I want to give a plug for my Patreon page. People email me all the time, Tim, how do we support the program? You're doing good work, brother. You're doing the work of Holy Mother Church. You're a fighting soldier. How do we support you? And then I start to think, 
man, maybe I haven't plugged Patreon page enough. I, I don't feel like that's true, though. I don't like to badger. Anyway, the page is Timothy J. Gordon on Patreon. I promised all of late last year around Thanksgiving and Christmas enhanced benefits in 2022, and I have made good. Now we have what's essentially a rolling book club for all levels of Patreon. The higher levels get better stuff unrelated to it, but all levels of Patreon get enrolled in whatever book club is currently ongoing. Now, I did a Windswept House reading group with the Quite Frankly channel uh, in the spring. Then after that, I began a Father Elijah reading group, which is gone this summer. It's been great fun, and that reading club is coming to an end in the next few weeks. For the fall, I will be announcing an exciting sort of pre-Halloween watching club that all of the same patrons at any level and all levels will get. I will be updating what exactly comprises the watching club, and I think we're going to work with Quite Frankly's channel again. They're, they're good people in the upcoming weeks as we draw the Father Elijah book club to a close. But first, you have to be a patron. So go to Timothy J. Gordon, Patreon today, and become a patron. We hate to badge you with it, but this is literally how you support the channel. Also, buy Don't Go to College, now out, and buy The Case for Patriarchy, and go to timothyjgordon.com and purchase Ask Your Husband, Steph's book. She's going to be reappearing with me on the show in a few days. And we're going to talk about her second edition. She hasn't appeared since she's been pregnant, since all of the drama of the spring. But buy those three books to support the channel. Case for Patriarchy, Ask Your Husband, and now don't go to college and support us on Patreon. Thank you very much. Okay, so this article was out yesterday on DW.com. Once again, it's called German Catholics Reject Vatican's abortion stance dash report. A majority of German Catholics don't approve Pope Francis and the Vatican criticizing abortion, according to a survey commissioned by a Catholic Weekly. A new survey reveals a large gap between German Catholics and church leaders when it comes to abortion. This shows you how far left Germany is, particularly Catholic Germany. The survey, conducted by INSA Consulere Polster on behalf of German Catholic Weekly, uh, Die Tagespost, I don't, I don't speak German, don't claim to, but this is a, a common um, periodical we, we cite a lot on these shows, asked the responders for their stance on the following sentence. It is good that the Pope and the Church speak out against abortion. You are asked as a respondent, to respond to this either favorably or disfavorably. Do you agree that it's good that the Pope slash Church speak out against abortion? If you agree, then it'll be yes. If you disagree, then you will inform uh, the majority of these German Catholics. Only 17% of surveyed Catholics in Germany said they agreed with the proposition that it's good that the Church speak out against abortion. 58% compared on the other side, who oppose it. That means they literally, 58% of German Catholics polled, and I think it was four figures or something, a couple thousand people that were polled, claim they oppose the proposition that it's good that the Pope and the Church speak out against abortion. That's radical. That's extreme. 
But that's not the nature of our claim here. That, that has something to do with a problem in Germany, in the water or something. We've, we've heard of that before all throughout the 20th century. That's not what today's show is about. Today's show is about whether or not there's a veritable, true, bona fide tension between the Pope and the Germans. That's the question. The same survey, DW continues, also showed that only 13% of Protestants, I guess in Germany, were in favor of the anti-abortion statements. Over two-thirds of Protestants disagreed with anti-abortion comments made by Pope Francis and Catholic leaders. So this is a, a German thing, largely. Leader of the liberal world, in some sense. So they, they questioned just over 2,000 uh, respondents in late July and early August, and this was just published yesterday. The church changes, but only to a point. Pope Francis has moved the Catholic Church in a more liberal direction since taking over as pontiff in 2013. You guys know this is true. This is not just spin or narrative. This is absolutely true. We bemoan it every day in our lives, in our parishes, in our diocese and archdiocese, and on the shows that you probably watch a lot, my show and others on the Catholic right. Francis has taken a tough stance on priests involved in child abuse. That's a lie. And also, that's not a liberal measure. That would be a conservative measure, right? Because the child abuse is mostly LGBT, gay, molest, groom stuff. So this isn't true in the first place. But Francis hasn't taken a tough stance on priests molested in child, uh, priests involved in child abuse. He's chastised, chastised Western governments for not welcoming migrants. Okay, that's liberal. He's called for more help for the poor. And more efforts to preserve the environment. All right, fair enough. Publicly, he's worked to reduce prejudice against LGBTQ people, reassuring them that God, quote, does not disown any of his children and endorsing same-sex civil unions against his own congregation for the doctrine of the faith, who says you can't endorse a same-sex civil union. However, DW continues, the 85-year-old has also disappointed some of his more liberal supporters by rejecting the blessing of gay marriages. He has also refused to shift from the church's traditional stance on celibacy for priests. They, they push for something called very pro-body, married priests. And most notably, abortion, which the Vatican sees as an act of murder. Throw into this short list of ways that the Pope has disappointed his liberal constituents, if you will, uh, no ordained women deacons yet. In an interview with Reuters news agency last month, Pope Francis restated his controversial view that having an abortion is akin to hiring a hitman. My favorite thing the Pope has ever said, right? And when I interviewed Abby Johnson four years ago on Taylor Marshall's channel, I, I essentially asked her this question. Isn't, isn't the main person to hire a hitman who's guilty, just like criminal law? The hirer, not the hitman himself. So I, I like this one thing Pope Francis has said. Right, Steph, are there any other things he's ever said? I like, I like when he said, if someone makes fun of the church, you punch him in the nose. The church uh, is your mother. The punching. The, the punch punching. in the nose. I, I like that. You love the punching. Two Francis statements. They're pro let's, let's be charitable and assume I've forgotten about three, so let's say that's five mm -hmm. uh, papal statements, formal or casual, that he's made. And uh, I like that one. The moral question, according to DW, is whether it is right to take a human life to solve a problem. I'm sorry, this is according to Francis. 
Indeed, he said. Is it right to hire a hitman to solve the problem? Of course it's not. So it's a great... He used that Bergolian rhetoric for once to make the Catholic point, and I love it. The abortion issue, DW continues, is not the only one where the Vatican faces pushback from Germany. Less than three weeks ago, the Catholic Church spoke out against the progressive German... Now, this is where our show will take its point of departure. The Catholic Church spoke out against the progressive German Catholic movement known as the Synodal Path, warning them they do not have authority to instruct church leaders on matters of morality and doctrine. The movement has previously called for, get this, and this is not the synod on synodality. Don't confuse it, gentle listener, parish orphans, retrogrades. The synodal path is a very far left group in schismatic Germany, always schismatic out there in Germany. The synod on synodality is something different, but that's the topic of our show today. It's undertaking these same goals. The movement in Germany has previously called for allowing priests to marry, shocker, women to become deacons, another shocker, and the, for same-sex couples to receive the church's blessing, shocker. Now, things get interesting here. Um, that's, well, actually, that was a very short article. Note that even though Francis very gingerly, very hesitantly calls out his homeboys in Catholic Germany, Catholic Germany, he does it hesitantly, he does it reticently, he does it uh, haltingly and sparingly because they're really his friends. We now know about the Sankt Gallen Mafia. We know they're the ones that put him in power. We know that they're the ones he listens to within the College of Cardinals, etc., etc., etc. But he has to do it to preserve the narrative. What is the narrative? That Francis is some sort of golden mean, and I mean, we even buy this to some extent on the Catholic right, just in the way we report it. That Francis is some sort of golden mean, remember in Aristotle's terms, the golden mean is not a, an arithmetic mean, but a geometric mean. Between the German synodal way, which is far, 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 far left, as far left as you can go, intercommunion with the Lutherans is what they want, gays can do whatever they want, Married priests, women deacons, eventually women priests. That is the Sankt Gallen agenda, okay? That's also the synodal way in Germany's agenda. So Francis is falsely pitched as a geometric mean between that far German left and the American Catholic right wing, which is, we're the leader in the world. So for all of the... Hatred that, or fire, I'll say, that American trads direct at themselves or at their own country, oh, America, so what? Tra traditionalism is led around the world within Catholicism by American traditionalists, which is why the Fran Pope Francis hates it, which is why Antonio Spadaro always talks smack. He's responded to me on Twitter. That was an exciting moment. Uh, it, you know... Lots of, lots of stuff. He responded to an article of mine on Twitter, kind of subtweeted it. But here's the catch. It's false opposition. And, and the proof is, I want to show you, I want to read you a couple articles 
one from directly after the Amazonian Synod of 2019, October of 2019. Remember that? I'm, I, I forget names a lot, folks. I'm really good with dates, though. So if you notice that I, I can say, oh, month and a year, it's a blessing from God. Names, if you hear me struggling, it's not a blessing from God. <laughs> but yeah, I know that Amazonian Synod was three weeks in October 2019. The Extraordinary uh, Synod on the Family was October 2014. The Ordinary Synod on the Family was October 2015. So it's easy to remember when you put it in terms like that. But listen to this, okay? This is, this is really the tell that Francis is not at all opposed to the German synodal way. Francis is not in any meaningful ways, even as a distinction of degree, much less incrementally inclined to doing the far left things to the Catholic Overton window, even though that's the narrative. Um, here's one thing. Um, in Korea, this is from an article on Crux from September the 4th, 2020. I had to do some digging for today's show. The, the article on Crux is called Pope Says Synod Used Parliamentary Logic When Debating Married Priests. The first sentence tells all. When it comes to the private notes of a pontiff, the world usually has to wait until they've died. Until he's died, you mean, ma'am, to have access to them. But the Pope this week made some of his personal notes public. They were about last October's Synod of Bishops on the Amazon region, okay? It was in 2020, so last October. I skip forward a few paragraphs. In Carita, Amazonia, which is the post-synodal apostolic exhortation, Francis's open-ended language seemed to leave open the possibility that in the future, married men who have a fruitful permanent diaconate could be ordained as priests in the region as outlined in the final synod document, even though that document, I lost a bet, failed to make this explicit. He does not uh, uh, address that issue directly, she notes. Instead, he writes that every effort should be made to ensure people in the region, some of whom only see a priest once or twice a year, have regular access to the sacraments, especially the Eucharist and confession, around the Amazon synod. I was changing. Um, I was... I was moving to my own channel uh, the very week that this was notching up uh, from, from Taylor Marshall's channel. I had a lot going on, but there was a lot going on in the Catholic world. At the same time, we had Pachamama breaking out, all of that stuff. Remember that? Get your, get your mind, if you can, into that mode. Almost three years old now. That in October, that'll be three years old. Time moves fast when you're having a horrible time because you're locked in your home because of COVID, right? <laughs> Been locked in COVID nonsense for the first two years. Time flies when you're having fun. As a corollary, it does not fly when you're locked in your home like a Canadian shut-in. Okay. So, the reason that I just read to you this deep dive research article that I had and I spent some time looking for this morning is to prove to you that I'm not just a sore loser in my bet with Eric Sammons that Carita Amazonia was strongly on the path following the Amazonian Synod to making explicit the new synodal path of the church toward allowing women deacons and eventually priests and having very pro body married priests in the Western Rites. 
all on the false pretext of emergency in um, in Carita, Amazonia, dear Amazon, right? Never let a crisis go to waste. Here's what Francis said. Now, now I'm drawing. I want to. I want to call. Keep that in the front of your head. What I just read from that 2020 article. Now I want to call recall for you a uh, National Catholic Register article from a different time period called Cardinal in Key Synod on Synodality Post. Reforms need a stable foundation. Now, the cardinal that's going to be speaking is none other than Jean-Claude Hollerich, who we did a show on the other day. Um, the opening line in National Catholic Register is this. The event, the Synod on Synodality, we're not talking about the German Synodal way, right? The far left, whatever. Now we're talking about the Synod on Synodality, which is ongoing, is this worldwide info-gathering polling phase. Right now, we're going to get an, an update in September. The event, commonly known as the Synod on Synodality, has been described as the most important church event since the Second Vatican Council, 1962 through 1965, that means trouble. I've been telling you, trouble is just around the corner. Francis said, uh, I'm sorry, Hollerick said, when he was asked about women priests or deacons or very pro-body, the, the whole, they all kind of go together. I forget which one. It's one, of, one or all of those. I would have nothing against it, shocker. But reforms, listen to this, this explains the whole thesis of my show today, but reforms need a stable foundation. If the Pope were now simply to allow viri probati and deaconesses, see it is both, the danger of schism would be great. Let me read that again. If the Pope were now simply to allow viri probati and deaconesses, the danger of schism would be great. After all, it's not just about the German situation, where perhaps only a small part would break away. What he's saying is most people in Germany are very liberal and would like this and wouldn't, quote, break away. Hollerich is saying the schismatics would be you and I, faithful Catholics. In Africa or in countries like France, many bishops would probably not go along with it. Interesting he notes France. Africa we know is faithful. The bishops are good there. France, not so much. So, so this, this is surprising to hear him say. Let me read one more time the key sentence that will flush out the mole so I can make a, a sort of basic thesis for today. If the Pope were now, this is Hollerick, the Relator General of the Synod on Synodality, he's behind the scenes with Francis. Remember, I covered the other day that he claims Francis agrees with him about being very, very pro-LGBT. If the Pope were now just to out and out, without using all the weaponized ambiguity we're used to from the Pope, to simply allow very pro-body and deaconesses, the danger of schism would be great. After all, it's not just about the German situation, where perhaps only a small part would break away. You hear what he just did? Think of the article that I read you in full, yesterday's article on DW. Think about it. We're told... Constantly, even by right-wing, I mean far right-wing sources, even we trad speak this way, okay, what's the furthest cutting-edge left in the church? It's Germany. It's that group called the Synodal Way in Germany. The German bishops, 
the Reformation never left, blah, blah, blah. We have all of our little tropes, and we use them to effect. It's true. The Reformation never left Germany. The Sankt Gallen Mafia was led by mostly Germans, along with some Swiss and some Belgians and some other wannabe Germans. Right? They're all wannabe Germans. Okay? The first Sankt Gallen agenda item, which was completed, I know I talk about it ad infinitum, commune for the divorced and civilly remarried. Who gave us that? Cardinal Casper. Sankt Gallen Mafia member proper. He's an alum and a German leader and a German cardinal. Okay, so the next items says even the good guys, even one of the four Dubia brothers with the four cardinals that challenged Pope Francis. Cardinal Walter Brandmuller says here are the items and the next ones are very pro-body and Witten deaconesses. Along with the gay stuff, the LGBT affirmations, these these two new items that have not yet been accomplished, even after Querida, Amazonia, very probati and and, um, deaconesses, together with a more openly pro-LGBT stance, this is the position of the German Synodal Way. And according to Hollerick, once again, I'm taking him at his word, and I'll tell you why in a second. This is, this is Francis's position. We know from things that have been written before, during, and after Vatican II, where the synod was crafted, that uh, the fake democratization of the church is the way in which the left was going to operate. By fake democratization, I don't mean that real democratization would be a good thing. The church is not a democracy. I mean this idea where they, in this synod on synodality, being enthusiastically carried forward by Francis, they pitch questionnaires to all of the world in all of the dioceses of the world, and they're looking for key answers. And they're just going to pull those out, even if it's a minority of answers, even if a minority of Catholics around the world don't support their liberalizing measures like very pro-body and deaconesses and pro-LGBT measures. They're going to just pull out the ones that did affirm their preconceived position, and they're going to ratify it with some sort of post-synodal apostolic exhortation. That's what's going to happen. Now, Hollerick gave us the key play. Why did Francis not do it in Carita Amazonia the way he did in Amoris Laetitia? Well, remember, folks, Francis, I, I think his agenda is identical to the Germans. The Germans are the ones that gave us Francis. Francis is very crafty. He's constantly up against this question. Can I just outright come out and say dogma X, pat, clear, unquestioned for 2,000 years, is now reversed? He didn't do that in Amoris Laetitia. So when I'm, I'm saying, oh, well, that, you know, he reversed the 2,000-year-old teaching on communion. Someone in a state of grave sin cannot receive communion. He didn't just come out and say, oh, that's wrong. St. Paul in the Holy Writ in Scripture says you can't receive if you're in a state of mortal sin. That's wrong. He didn't do that. He gave us footnotes in April of 2016 when he released 
Amoris Laetitia. And he released six months after that a sort of, by an act, papal pen, an act. He responded to a letter and he's like, as an act, I'm going to take this letter and I'm going to say this letter by the Argentine bishops. You guys have the only correct interpretation of my otherwise meaningless, bizarre footnote. Uh, Of course they have the only correct interpretation of it as he intended it. But Pope's planners were denying this until that moment. And then as a further act, he magisterialized that by putting it in the AAS. Fast forward three years, three and a half years, to the October 2019 Synod. At the end, he came out with Carita Amazonia, the post-Synodal Apostolic Exhortation, much more quickly. We didn't have to wait for six months. We didn't have to wait until April of 2020 to get that one, the way we had to wait six months for um, Amor Slatitia following the 2015 Synod. He came out with it almost immediately. I think it was early December, if I remember correctly. And in that one, it wasn't a wacky footnote where he mentioned um, very Pravati and deaconesses. It was an attachment to the relatio. Relatios are the midterm reports halfway through a synod, and they are not typically included in the final document. They are working documents that get changed and whatever is ratified just goes into the document, the writing of the Pope's post-synodal constitution or whatever you want to call it. So the fact that the Pope was like, well, in the actual exhortation, in Carita Amazonia itself, Francis said, I'm not going to treat one way or another very probati deaconesses right now. But see the attachment to the relatio, and I made a big deal about this at the time, and people teased me. They said it was a cope, because I'd bet that he was going to do it in a Creed and Amazonia. I get that. I get that. It, it looks like a cope. It wasn't. He said, I'm not going to treat it right now, but see the relatio where important things on the matter are uptaken, or something like that. The relatio has much, much, much less ambiguous pro- very pro-body language, pro-deaconess's language. When you make an attachment to a document, like an attachment to an email, it's really part of the message. How similar is this? I, 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 if you would have asked me, I said before the Amazon Synod, I said to Steve Skojek, I think, I don't know what he's going to do in this exhortation following this synod, but it will be you can, you can mark my words. I said it. I can't remember. I think it was on Steve's channel. It will be the equivalent of the footnote. And I smiled with a wink and a nod. And I said, what's the equivalent of a footnote? And I literally didn't know. I don't, do you remember me saying that, Steph? Uh, the equivalent of a footnote? Oh, yeah. I, it sounds like you don't. But <laughs> I, was, I was saying it all over the place before 2019. And I was like, I don't know what it'll be. I have no special insight aside from this determined, uh, fixed perspective. And what, And sure enough, footnotes kind of like a, you know an under-attachment to a document. The attachment that you normally only do with emails, he said, I want to attach the relatio, which an attachment becomes part of the document. So I 
even though I was wrong in my bet with Eric Sammons that he would make it formal, make it explicit, these two changes, liberalizing trends, I wasn't wrong on that score. And so he kept it alive, and he actually kept it more than just alive. He kept it probable that it would be done soon by making that attachment. Okay, so fast forward then to this question that has perplexed Catholics throughout the entire Francis pontificate, now nine and a half years, almost 10 years. Holy cow. Is Francis with the German synodal way? Because he has rebuked him a couple times. Well, he, he very, very apparently is going to pull an Amoris Laetitia with his Carita Amazonia. It's just, it's, we're, we're waiting longer. He's, he's being more subtle. Because this issue, unlike communion for the divorced and civilly remarried, is not spinnable, even with ignorant Catholics, ignorant kind of middle-of-the-road Catholics, as a good thing. The way that giving, giving communion to more people, we can help out, you know, on the, the penitential path in the internal forum. We can help out divorcees. To, to very, very, very low information, dolts in the pews, for lack of a better term. You can spin that. You can't spin as a non-revolutionary thing, even in the pop culture, even a low information pop culture people that know nothing about our faith. You cannot spin women priests as a non-revolutionary thing because it's too big in, in the Western rites. You cannot spin priests marrying as a non-revolutionary thing. I mean, Rush Limbaugh, God Repose His Soul, I think favored one or both of those. Um, and he's a right-winger, but he's not, he doesn't know anything about Catholicism, didn't know anything about Catholicism. So the, my point is, in the pop culture, this would make big waves, and they wouldn't be spinnable waves that, um, that, that anyone could characterize left, right, or center media could characterize as non-revolutionary. It just couldn't be done. So Francis knows, you know, at some point, yes, I have plenary power in the church. I am Peter. And I look what I did with communion for the divorce and civilly remarried. That's a huge change. But you have to do it subtly. Even huge changes, even if you have plenary power, have to be done subtly. And this quote by Hollerick explains precisely why, according to my strong belief, Francis is just like Hollerick, the cardinal. He's just like Casper, the cardinal. He's just like the now deceased Cardinal Gottfried de Niels. He is the German synodal way. And I have more to back that up than just the already solid evidence of like Julian Maloney's book, Sankt Gallen Mafia. That's, a, that's solid evidence right there. The Sankt Gallen Mafia loves him. But people would say, well, yeah. But they, they got him to be Pope, you know, t starting 20 years ago to 10 years ago. They were working for that period of time between 1996 and, and really his election eventually in 2013. But he might have disappointed them, like Paul VI disappointed liberals around the world uh, with Humane Vitae. They could make that argument. That's why I'm countering with just saying, no, Francis very much kept all of these issues alive, all these Sant Gallen issues, call it the synodal way. 
Sankt Gallen agenda and German synodal way are the same. Same personnel, same policy. And personnel is policy anyway. But that's why this quote is so illuminating. I'll read it one more time. Hollerick saying, If the Pope were now simply to allow very probati and deaconesses, the danger of schism would be great. He's not telling the truth. They don't care about schism. They, they'll eventually do what they're going to do and then declare faithful Catholics as in schism. They already do this with TLM lovers, right? I mean, they're all different types of rad trads. They're Sedes, they're Beneplenis, they're SSPX, they're diocesan TLM lovers. But they call all of us schismatic-minded anyway. So even if you think there's room for reasonable distinction between those groups, yeah, there is. But come on, all of the groups I just named are basically people that are at least of goodwill trying to be in the church. They just don't all agree and they can't all be right. But schismatic? No, what's properly schismatic is this group. That says, as I read you in the last show, Hollerick. You know, we need to reinterpret the Bible because it's, it's definitely anti, uh, anti-gay. And didn't they get stuff wrong about stoning women, Hollerick said? Didn't they get stuff wrong about which revolves around which, earth and sun? So this is how I know. I would not say it's a, a proof or even an Aristotelian queer demonstration, not even that strong, but something just under that. This is a near proof that... The Francis agenda equals the Sankt Gallen agenda equals the German synodal way. Francis agenda equals Sankt Gallen agenda equals German synodal way's agenda. Notwithstanding the fact that even most trads talk about the German synodal way as if it's meaningfully distinguishable from Francis's agenda. He's close to them, but he's not quite that far. In the, I, th- I think it's one and the same. The only distinction that one can make is the distinction that's chronological. Francis, as Julia Maloney says time and again in her book, time, patience, time, patience, time. Francis is very good at the incrementalism. The German bishops, you would say, are not because they're impetuous, they're impatient, but they're playing a role, as is Francis. They're creating fake opposition so they're playing the part of the impatient ones and that's the funner part to play because they look like the the purists leftists who are pure they're like just give us women priests forget even the middle road of women deacons give us you know outright gay marriage not just blessings of gay unions which is a middle road i mean not a true middle road but it's a halfway house for getting to that terminus of women priests gay marriages in the Catholic Church. So they're playing the fun part, the impatient ideological purists. Francis is playing the less fun part to play, assuming that my theory is correct. His part is, no, no, these guys want to go further than me. I just have to, I have to keep things open, right? I need to um, not give in to parliamentary logic, like I cited from that Crux article. I want to let things play out I want to go to the peripheries of the church and I want to hear from the rank and file. 
I want to have an encounter type dialogue where I go to the people. I don't. I meet them where they're at. I don't sit in judgment. That's what the synod and synodality is all about. Francis is pitching according to this narrative. I'm just. I don't have any idei fisse. I don't have any fixed ideas. I just want to hear from the, the the sheep who I love. Get the smell of the sheep on you, bishops, by pulling them. And no, I'm not just saying I'm going to give them whatever they want. He is. Only if you're an LGBT, a feminist who wants women priests, or an aficionado of very pro body. So that's the case. That's the case. And I know none of you have your minds blown. That's probably what you're guessing anyway, but it was important to substantiate this with these old articles I went and found on Crux. I got some real exciting highlight notes here. Crux and National Catholic Register, that's how you prove. And also, I like this, um, this, this top note on uh, this header on the National Catholic Register article. I'll close by reading it one more time. The article is called Cardinal in Key Synod on Synodality Posts, colon, Reforms Need a Stable Foundation. That's, that's really important there. Hollerick says, you got to get a stable foundation. What is the stable foundation? It is polling and saying, look, this is what the people want. I didn't just do this in Corita, Amazonia back in 2019. That, there wasn't a stable foundation now. Now we've let three more years lapse. We're going to hear from Pope Francis in September next month on what's going on with their pollster information in this process of synod on synodality. And he's going to say, like in Windswept House, he's going to say, look, we now have a foundation stable, stable enough to justify what looks like change, but isn't really. They're just lying. Also, I think it's important that folks get this header. The event, the Synod on Synodality, has been described as the most important church event since the Second Vatican Council in 1962 to 1965. Do you get what they're doing now? Big change is coming. Big change is coming. Francis is already said to expect big surprises here. He doesn't say that all the time. Even when he does hit you with big surprises, he gaslights you. He says, what are you talking about? There's no big change here. Think about that. Put that in perspective. Francis will make a major change in the church and he'll say, there's no change here. That's just your weird interpretation. It's like, but all the priests in the world are now giving public, fornic- public adulterers communion. You said in Amoris Laetitia that the logic of the gospel is that no one can be punished forever. That means there's no hell. Which he told uh, he told the La Repubblica editor, Eugenio Scalfari, that he doesn't believe in it anyway. So it, it, with big changes before that Francis has done, he's always like, there's no change here. But what are you talking about? Total gaslighting. When the few times he's actually said, God of surprises, God of big changes are coming, boom, that's when he gets nuclear. Something nuclear is going to happen between September next month and when all the, the revelations for their preconceived notions come out in early 2023. So get ready. Buckle up. Everybody put on a brave face. <laughs> put on a brave face. I, I did this work for you here today. This is what I try to do. I try to do work for you. So you can listen to this on your drive to work, from work, lunch break, wherever you watch or, or listen. 
to this podcast, I try to do the legwork to substantiate the claims. Look, I already know that you guys who are faithful listeners, thank you, by the way. I, I want to say a word on that in closing right now, but thank you for listening. I know we probably already agree because I can be, if, if you don't agree with me, I'm an alienating guy, right? You, you love me if you love me, but if, <laughs> if you don't, I'm a polarizing kind of figure. Um, so I know we probably already agree about the Pope. If you listen, if you're a parish orphan or retrograde, you probably agree about the council, bad intent, bad ramifications, but the documents are didn't create like a whole new church or something like that, right? If you've stuck around this long, my parish orphans, then you probably know that we agree about conclusions. But what I really do try to do to you as a legitimate service to Holy Mother Church and to you, my friends, I'm just being sincere here. Sometimes I... I do less rigorous research than I set out to or found less than I hoped to, whatever. But I do try to do the legwork so that it's not just pure opinion. So I was really pleased with what I found today when I was doing this deep dive. And, and finally, I, I just want to thank you guys, the Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. What was always, look, as you all know, I, I was an ex-rocker in college and I had, um, Bands that that my band modeled not only our music after, but our approach to growth, to growing our fan base. We were becoming a quite successful, quite popular regional band uh, in Texas, and I there were kind of two very disparate models of growth. And I decided early in my life as a young man in college that if I ever wanted to gain a following doing whatever. Back then, I thought it was as a rock singer. But now I, I know what it is, is a kind of Catholic fighter, public intellectual, whatever you want to call it. I opted for the organic, hopefully very stable, slower growth model of a band I, I used to like, I still like very much, called the Deftones. Um, they used to open for a much larger band, cr crummy band, called Corn. you might know, that, you know. <laughs> It's a bad band. Oh, Flamed out. Corn was much bigger than the Deftones, but the Deftones would open for them. Good band, crappy band. Um, but Corn was huge. They were one of the biggest bands in the world. They were also from my hometown. That's another reason I know them. I'm from Bakersfield. Corn was from Bakersfield. You guys remember them. Um, they just got huge fast. They didn't really have the goods, didn't have, but, but they, they got huge. The mark of getting huge fast is you don't care who your audience is you just want as much hey just grow the numbers grow the numbers i don't care you're throwing red meat in the water right you're throwing chum in the water you're just like get as many people in i don't care if they're good people i don't care if they really appreciate my music i don't care if they really appreciate the message i just want ticket sales grow it fast red meat seeking the problem with that route there's a lot of problems with that route one it means you have no integrity as a, an artist or whatever you do. But the logistical problem with that route that a lot of people that get on that path, Korn not really taken seriously at all as a band, even a few years after they're out, let alone now. History will judge them very harshly because um, they become what, I forget who coined this term, Patrick Coffin told me about it. They become a captive creator. You know what a captive audience is. You're listening to something and you can't get out of it. A captive creator is someone that takes the red meat 
fast, cheap growth route to gaining the biggest audience possible. And then they get on a path, a synodal path, <laughs> where they're hearing back from their disparate crowd who's got a bunch of weird members. There's no consistency to the message because you're trying to be all things to all men. You're just saying whatever. There will still be a main message. It might not be a message that's true to you as a content creator because you're just saying stuff to get people on board the ship. So then anytime you want to be truly yourself and you, get, you break character, people are like, what the heck? This isn't what you presented. You become a captive creator. Not my term. Patrick Coffin quoted it to me, but it's not his term. I forget the guy. Look at it. Look it up. A very clever term. Instead of a captive audience, a captive creator. Um, I never wanted that to happen. I wanted to go the Deftones route, the slow, steady, stable growth route. You still want your numbers to grow. Look, I'd love to hit 50,000 subscribers, but I get emailed all the time like, Tim, your name is much bigger than your sub count. Why is that? And I'm like, number one, no one really knows. The algorithms are funky. Number two, well, that's not a very interesting answer. But number two, here's the interesting ideological part of it. And then I tell them what I just told you. I didn't want to be a captive creator. I wanted to, what I do is nuance. I'm a careful thinker. I'm not a theologian. I'm a Thomist philosopher and a constitutional scholar. I wanted to make distinctions, be like, I'm definitely trad. I'm definitely super right wing. I definitely want, <laughs> you know what I want about the country. Get to a red state, get out of your blue state. That's only the first step. You know, Latin mass, supremacist, whatever. I, but I want to make distinctions within those distinctions, right? We want to be as peaceable and as reasonable as we can within those, let's be honest, extreme positions that I've carved out for myself. That's what it is to be a retrograde. Okay, and to do that, uh, you know, people, people were citing last night when I was like, oh, this is so bad, the suppression of the TLM. And someone was like, you argued that that, uh, that Francis should do this. I'm like, no, I never argued Francis. This is the worst thing ever. This is, this is tyrannical. They're, making, they're extracting from the point that I said, Francis is doing this, and it, it, is, not a, uh, it is not an ipso facto nullified thing for a pope to do, meaning he's not, by any clear magisterial teaching, violating his uh, mandatum, and I, you know, me and Tim Flanders had a nice debate on that. He's a good man. Um, but I was just like, look, I'm not compelled by the data. I want to be. So people will take the kinds of distinctions that I make where I'm like, just show me. Show me the research. That's all I want. That's what this channel is really about. I try to be funny and zesty and make the shows good for you. But we're all about the research. I will go wherever the truth is. And I just wasn't convinced on that, that, that the Pope was outside of his mandate. He's doing it. No one, Cardinal Burke, all the leaders on our side of the church can't really point at anything that says, oh, the Constitution limits you from doing this. It's one reason constitutions are cool. You can tell the president, you, you don't have the right to do this. I'm not sure. I don't want the Pope to do this. But to the point is, I have a very nuanced audience, and I like that. Now, I'd love you guys to share these videos, and I'd love for you to share by word of mouth. Do you want, uh, I think, a better mashup of politics and culture inside and outside of the church than other Catholic channels do? Because that is what we do here. Deep understanding of the Constitution. Deep understanding of what 
Ares Publica is. Deep understanding of Thomism and Aristotelianism. And I, I can hold my own on church events, right? You know, church ecclesiology, liturgy. But I'm not a liturgist. I'm not an ecclesiologist. I'm not trained in theology. So that's what the show does. But also rigorous distinctions. Also, if someone shows that I'm wrong, I admit it and I go in that direction. You know, facts matter. That is not the red meat crowd. And there are, there's, there's red meat content out there. This is what a lot of content is. So that's an answer to your question. But it also means, as a way of concluding this whole little screed, I really appreciate my audience. And I really, when you, make an, when you craft an audience that is not captive creator generated, you have an audience that is much more like you. It's small, a bit smaller, but we can grow this thing. But they're much more like you. So if you're listening to this show, it's probably we, we would probably enjoy getting a beer. We'd probably enjoy hanging out. And I've met lots of the people, particularly patrons. Some of them have been to Hattiesburg. Had a, a brick wall group called the Brickheads. We met in Hattiesburg. They came to my house. We had a great time. And it was young people to old people. And everyone there had a res publica. And it wasn't just a res publica as broad as we're all Catholic. Or even we're all trads and we like the TLM. It was all people that are trads. They love the TLM. We're happy. Have a good sense of humor. Good sense of humor. That's one thing retrogrades tend to have in common, <laughs> right? You see me joke around on the show because if well, you don't laugh, you cry. Sometimes on email where people will be like, I did not appreciate those jokes that Tim had. And it just, we'll just, the response to that is, well, then Tim's not the content creator for you. Yeah, that's. If you and, don't like the jokes and you don't like some of the things that Tim does. Please don't send the emails. Don't send the emails. He's just not the content creator for you. Yeah, and and with my (gasps) salute and my sincere wishes for your good health and your good spiritual health, if jokes or whatever offend you, just go your own way. I am not a captive creator. I am not the kind of guy that needs X million views that pimps himself out for an audience. So if it's not offensive, like Michael Jordan said to all the race-baiting, race-hustling Democrats when they didn't like that he wouldn't endorse a Democrat uh, back when he was playing. He's like, look, I inspire the people I inspire, but Republicans buy sneakers too. This is why I respect Michael Jordan. Republicans buy sneakers too. And 25 years after he made that comment, he stands by it. He's like, look, I'm not going to inspire everybody. That's, that's all I can, all I can do is be myself and be true to whatever. You know, he, he's an athlete. It's different. But he still stands for something. He's inspirationally obsessed with winning. That, that is inspiring. That's what he stands for. Michael Jordan can't be all things to all men. I can't be all things to all men. So if you want the dour, unidimensional, you know, the TLM will save everything. Defy whatever. Defy church orders if you need that. Anyone who doesn't go to the TLM is a scumbag. If you want more of that, then there are plenty of other channels you can go to for that. I'm like a TLM supremacist that's like, there's more to life to talk about that's actually more pressing in some cases than just one or two things. And also, I like to make jokes. So thank you for sticking with me. That's just a a sincere word from the heart. Thank you, patrons, for sticking with me and my family and our books that we've put out. All the struggles over the last... (laughs) blank term of months or years really too but it was a crazy spring we've gotten ourselves into a 
lot of trouble. <laughs> a lot of hot water with a lot of different people. A lot of feminists, right? Trads at times. Uh, you know, set of I, you know, I, I have nothing against the set of God, God bless you guys. Um, you know, E. Michael Jones's people. I never intended offense there. Chestertonians. What? Like a lot of these names are pretty, pretty darn smart. Some of them aren't the feminists, but. Um, you know, the radical left, other people writing books against the feminists. It's it's a wild <laughs> ride. And uh, as your personal chauffeur, Mr. Toad here, I just thank you for sticking with us. A lot of you comment, hey, Tim, your name's big. Why aren't you? Uh, that's the answer. That's the solution, okay? We don't want to be captive creator. We want to be true to one thing, the truth, which is like saying we want to be true to Jesus, who is the truth. Free to go wherever the, the truth directs us. And that doesn't mean Francis. That's not false synodalism. That's just show me the data. And I know that's not the same thing as banging a drum day in and day out and blaming the same characters. Yes, I blame Francis. <laughs> so do you. But that, I, think, I think you've seen the difference. That's why the slower, stabler growth is, I think, more honest. And we'll always tell people, instead of freaking out on the other route, by the way, if you take the other route where you're a cap, you become a captive creator to be as big as you can as, as soon as you possibly can, you freak out. I've seen it. You freak out any time someone drops off. You're like, no, 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 I have to keep them. I have to keep the people who say up, but I also have to keep the people that say down. I have to keep the people that say left. I have to keep the people that say right. This is dollars and cents. You know how many times we get emails about people asking us to change the skull on the logo yeah. and stuff? I'm just like, nope. Nope. Not going to do it. <laughs> nope. Right? Not happening. This is for, I'm not even going to give the, the, the capuchin crip explanation anymore. The, the crit of capuchins. Not even going to do it. This is just, look, man, if you don't like it, it, it I, I do want patronage I, or just listeners, uh, viewers but not at the expense of integrity. And so many, so much of the podcasting world does bid adieu to what that old-fashioned, lovely institution called integrity. Lovely human virtue, I should say, called integrity. Where it's just like, yeah, do anything. Please, whoever says what, you're lying to the ones that want you to be up. You're lying to the ones that want you to be down. And you're freaking out constantly. People are always, people are gonna come and go. But those people that stick with us Thus far, I think you know who we really are, and we really appreciate who you are. God bless you. That's, a, I think, a, a long-due explanation. God bless your families, and uh, God be with us through this synodal process. Deus volt, my friends. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the 
Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.